Welcome to another informative episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. I'm Mike Burton and I work for Campbell Scientific. So typically, you know, in a large area, you can say that the weather is whatever, five degrees here and it's five degrees over there. But say driving from here to even the, the south side of Edmonton, so we're on the north side of Edmonton now, uh, you'll go through a valley. And in that valley, there can be a, a completely different weather scenario. That is, the weather could be foggy, it could be more humid, it could be even a different temperature. And that creates a whole different set of environments for the people and the creatures that are occupying that space. So that's kind of the easy way of saying what a microclimate is. No Harm is the podcast for health and safety professionals like you. We're here to help you sharpen your professional skills and better understand emerging issues. So for municipalities and for counties and for provinces and for countries, those areas become really challenging areas to manage. That is, those could be the areas that pose the greatest threat to people's safety. Sounds like a great topic. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Now, in episode 20 of the Health and Safety Podcast, I had a great conversation over at the Alberta Motor Association, and we were talking about winter driving. And that really got me thinking about how is weather predicted and how is knowledge of that weather really useful information to municipalities and industry and how does that all come to be from a scientific point of view? I did a little bit of research and I found these folks in Edmonton called Campbell Scientific and they're part of the worldwide Campbell Scientific group of companies. I'm here today at the Campbell Scientific uh, location and with me is Mike Burton. Mike, thanks for having me. You're always welcome, Marvin, and welcome to our museum. This museum is absolutely fantastic. All of this equipment that we're looking at is, is vintage, obviously, and uh, it's about predicting weather. It is about predicting weather. It's the history of predicting weather around the world. There's really cool instruments in here from the very first data logger that our uh, founder had uh, going back many, many years. Give me an example of, of one of these uh, pieces of apparatus. Wow, there's so many here. So right behind us, uh, we have a bunch of radiometers. So these, these are used to measure solar radiation. And, and uh, these are some of the great instruments that you know, the company built many, many years ago that started to make them a name in this industry. Kind of gives you some history of how data was recorded, transitioning from people going out in the middle of a snowstorm to look at a piece of paper from an instrument to all of these electronics. Predicting the weather is really tricky business, and it has come a long way over the years, uh, certainly a long way since all of this equipment was invented. Uh, probably, oh, I'm guessing some of, this, uh, some of this equipment would be pre-World War II. Oh yes, it is. This is very early days of, uh, of measurement for sure in the industry and it's, it's all part of trying to forecast, that is predict the future uh, of weather, which you know today we count on as being just a thing that happens for us. Absolutely. Important information with respect to health, safety and environment, how municipalities operate and how industry operates. You know, municipalities and, and provinces really, of course, need to understand the weather before it's happening. And I'm not saying anything that you don't already know. And of course, our, our listeners already know this as well. They not only need to understand the coming weather, but they need to understand microclimates. 
And uh, other industries as well need to understand this. For instance, uh, oil refineries where they have these huge steel structures and you don't want to be inside one of these steel structures, you know, the kit as they call it, when there's a lightning storm coming. So tell me about the, the problems and the issues that municipalities and provinces and industries face with respect to predicting weather really at a microclimate level. Yeah, well, I think maybe first I'll try to explain in really simple terms what a microclimate is. So typically, you know, in a large area, you can say that the weather is, whatever, five degrees here and it's five degrees over there. But say driving from here to even the the south side of Edmonton, so we're on the north side of Edmonton now, uh, you'll go through a valley. And in that valley, there can be a, a completely different weather scenario. That is, the weather could be foggy, it could be more humid, it could be even a different temperature. And that creates a whole different set of environments for the people and the creatures that are occupying that space. So that's kind of the easy way of saying what a microclimate is. So for municipalities and for counties and for provinces and for countries, those areas become really challenging areas to manage. That is, those could be the areas that pose the greatest threat to people's safety. Okay, so for instance, we are in Alberta right now, and we have these these major roads, um, Edmonton and Calgary, for instance, the Stony Trail, the Anthony Hende, and uh, you know because of the, the the size of these roads, you might have a weather event that's predicted to affect one part of the Anthony Hende or the Stony Trail, but not another. And municipalities need to know this. Absolutely. I mean, this really comes down to one of the, the big safety issues for municipalities and for provinces uh, as it relates to people driving. So people get around still by driving. Interestingly, they also cycle and they walk, and those things all require us to be managing the transportation system. Those systems are subject to different environments. North Edmonton is different than South Edmonton. The Hende is a very good example of that. The Hende crosses the river in two locations where the conditions can be very different. And during our winter, which we all know can last for many, many months, there are really some significant safety concerns that'll happen on our roads that need to be managed by those municipalities and by the regions. And of course, it does involve the safety of people. It also involves the transport of goods. Before we started to roll, for instance, we were talking about an example in New Brunswick on the Trans-Canada Highway. Tell me about that. Yeah, so there's a specific section of the Trans-Canada Highway in New Brunswick coming out of the East Coast and heading to the West Coast. It's a major transportation corridor. This area is a marshy area and it's subject to a lot of fog visibility issues. There are often pileups and accidents. The province of New Brunswick is trying to mitigate that now. When that roadway is shut down, and they do shut it down because of major accidents, it basically stalls the movement of goods from east to west in our country. That has significant economic impact to industry. And of course, forestry is a big industry in New Brunswick. So I guess that has potential to shut down the forestry industry. It does have that potential, yeah. So any movement of goods, whether it's uh, someone's lobster or whether it's the timber for their home, stops moving. Uh, Now you think about the indirect application there. So if the lumber isn't making it to the destination, people can't have their homes built on schedule. If the lobster isn't making it to the destination, people don't get their dinner. So so these things, I mean, big or small, they are definitely... there's direct and indirect impacts to our economy. 
understood. And then a more global example, we were talking about this too earlier, you know, some people don't actually get snow. Uh, India, for instance, where flooding can be an issue. Yeah, so we do a lot of work in India. I'm heading over there again in a couple of weeks. They don't have the same seasons that we have, but they do have a monsoon season. And during that monsoon season, it's a very unsafe period of time for people in India, huge population. So they're now looking for ways to mitigate the risks that come with that so that rather than dealing with the issue when it occurs, they want to deal with the issues prior to them occurring, doing better forecasting, understanding those microclimates, understanding the areas of concern, and predicting what will happen in advance of it actually happening. Absolutely. Now, when I started to research this story, I started by wanting to understand climate, and then it led me to want to understand microclimates, which of course led me here because you folks are the scientists who do work in this area. So I want to talk about what you're doing to help solve this data problem. And what do you say that we actually walk and talk as we talk about this? Because I know that you, you have a lab and a production area where you have some of the solutions that municipality and industry are using. So uh, tell me about what you're doing in that regard. Well, so I'll give you a a bit of history. So Campbell Scientific Canada is about a 40-year-old company. We're an Edmonton-owned and Edmonton-based company. Uh, we started off as a distributor. Today we're a manufacturer, we're an integrator, and I th would say that we're kind of an innovator. So we've been aware of some of the issues that people are dealing with for quite some time. That is, these safety issues related to microclimates. We focused on transportation, but other areas as well. And so we've started to do some innovation here to solve the problems that we see in terms of safety around microclimates in municipalities and in regions around the country. The reality is the weather is different in different parts of our country. Canada is a really vast country with a lot of different weather issues. And so they have a lot of different problems that we need to solve. Now tell me about how you've done that because I, I guess you've, you've worked out some systems of, of sensors and you've worked out some systems of software that can actually provide information at a more granular level than has been historically possible. Yeah, that's right. So in our backyard over here. Okay, let's look out the window. Let's not step outside because it's it's really cold and uh, the snow has just finished falling. This is this is fresh snow, but I really want so so I want to paint a visual picture here for uh, for your listeners, but this is our playground. So we don't have any swings or teeter-totters, uh, but we have weather stations and we have these high towers with all of these instruments hanging on them. And this is kind of the essence of our business. This is where we test all of our products. Uh, this is where we test our innovation and we try to put things in place. And so a couple of years ago, you know, we, we looked at the problem. One of the problems they have that's specific to transportation is they can measure all the weather and predict the weather with road weather information stations. And if you drive around the Anthony Henda, you'll see these stations, their towers that are about 30 feet high with all kinds of instrumentation on them. But they're very expensive. And because they're expensive, there aren't very many of them. So we wanted to try to make it affordable for municipalities to provide a safer environment. So we started creating this new way of doing things. And our first station that we did, this is a completely an innovation made here in Edmonton, is in our backyard and still working today. Okay, so the equipment that we're looking at here would be an example of that. Yeah. It helps provide that granularity that municipalities, provinces, and industry need to predict weather on a much, I guess, more local basis than can be provided by, let's say, the Environment Canada website. That's right. So I think for us, the key word is density. So we want to prepare for the densification of information. We're very lucky to have a person on our staff who is a member of a group called CERWIC. CERWIC is like the international think tank for road weather. 
He has a PhD in road weather, which I didn't even know was a thing. That's a thing, really? <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy, but it does exist. Uh, so he's given us this insight into uh, route-based forecasting and this idea for densification. So let's just keep on wandering, and uh, I'll show you sort of how we've ended up where we've ended up. And it's not only about these sensors, right? It's also about the software that ties it all together. That's right. So part of the innovation is the software to make things simple for the end users. So, you know, I, de I describe data as a bunch of squiggly lines. So when you give somebody a bunch of squiggly lines and say, here's the temperature, here's the relative humidity, this means there's going to be a dew point at this location, so there might be ice on the roads. They scratch their heads and go, I don't even understand what you're talking about. So we've created software that collects all that data but presents to the end users basically just an alert. So based on the data coming in, it says to the users, this could be a municipality or a contractor for a municipality, hey, this location may have ice in six hours. So do something now to mitigate that risk. And a lot of our listeners know that I do a lot of work in the oil and gas industry, and we mentioned refineries and the kit, as they call it. During major turnarounds where uh, they're doing their major maintenance events, sometimes this can happen in the spring or the fall, and I can see how ice on the steel might be an issue, might cause a safety issue, and you might want to know that a number of hours in advance so you can prepare the crews appropriately. Yes, well, I mean, ice is one of the major issues, and it can occur in a whole bunch of different ways. It can occur without rain even happening, just from humidity. Less chance of that occurring here, but it does actually happen even in Alberta. But it also comes from compaction of snow and other things that create significant risks. So, so that is a major issue that we need to deal with. Excellent. So where are we going now? So uh, we're going to enter the exciting area of production. And, and uh, so in the name of safety, we have this area demarked quite specifically. We want to make sure that you stay in the safe areas. There are people operating equipment nearby. So we're just going to make sure that we stay safe. Of course, stay between the yellow lines. We're not wearing PPE. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there are PPE areas here. We're not going to go into those into those areas specifically, so we should be okay. Um, so this is really the magic place at Campbell Scientific. So this is where uh, we actually do all of our manufacturing uh, and send all of our instruments out to, uh, to our clients around the world. In Edmonton, uh, we produce our new system, the hardware and the software. We also produce a number of the sensors that go into it. I would say that one thing that's really important for people is to be able to see their data. That is, they want to be able to see for instance, what the roads are like to know if they're safe or not. Um, if you look at the Alberta 511 network, for example, so we maintain the entire system for the province of Alberta for their 511 system and all their cameras. Uh, we manufacture a camera right here in, in Alberta, right in Edmonton, uh, that can be used in that and other applications. And you mentioned that uh, you're working on a project in Quebec and Northern Ontario. Tell me about these. Well, so last year, last December, so it'd be about a year ago, we deployed a number of stations. We started with a deployment of 25. We now have 100 stations. These are mini road weather stations, uh, really the first of their kind. And we started collecting information from small municipalities, like places as small as 5,000 people, but in a county with huge network of roads. Uh, we're collecting that data and then providing, through our software, providing information about the road conditions, really forecasting ahead the road conditions so that they can do the proper mitigation. So that is 
yeah, we're really proud of that. We're actually uh, just now, we, uh, we've moved one of our people out to Ontario for the winter and he's in the midst of deploying 11 new stations in northern Ontario in the Chapleau region which is subject to a lot of lake effect and other kind of microclimates. They've never had the ability to collect data until now and it's been a significant issue for the province. Very unsafe roads, people dying in accidents. We're happy that we're able to be part of a solution. Splendid, that's great news. Okay, so as we walk, I see that there are people here with uh, soldering guns and they're doing all kinds of interesting things. So you mentioned this equipment that's part of your system. It's all built here. That's right. So we put it all together here. It's all been invented here. Uh, so the system is entirely ours. Uh, this system essentially is a mini system. So it's gathering temperature data, relative humidity data, uh, subsurface temperature data. Um, it's all part of this stuff here. So we're going we're gonna to actually take a look at one of the boxes, we call it. The Weather Brain Box. That's our name for it. And I'll show you kind of the, the guts of the system. Okay, let's do that. So this, uh, this little box uh, that, you, that we have in front of us uh, is the guts of our system. It's, uh, so it's entirely self-powered. That is, we don't need to connect to the grid in any way. Uh, uses solar power and a battery. Collects data, uh, has built-in telemetry that sends the data to processing. A station is simply a box like this and a solar panel. As you can see, the cost is going to be much lower, so the densification is much easier, and the accessibility for municipalities, uh, which has never existed before, now exists. So I can see how, you know, if I were managing uh, a mine site in northern British Columbia or Yukon territories, that uh, you know, access to the grid may be an issue for me, but this solves my problem. That's right. You have no issues with communication. So people are familiar with, uh, with Ontario, for example. One of these stations is going to be going into a place called Pickle Lake, which in Ontario terms is the extreme far north. So it happens that there's cellular communication, so we can actually communicate through cell. We have the ability to communicate through GOES transmitters and other satellites as well. Um, but this provides a two-way system, so you can actually, if there's an issue, you can communicate with this little box right here to fix any problems that might occur. In fact, this leads me to a question that I wanted to ask, and we mentioned Environment Canada earlier. Does this information also get shared with Environment Canada so that it can help them make their weather forecasts more accurate? Well, so uh, Environment Canada is actually working on this ideal called the network of networks. And so what that really means is sharing of data from everyone that's collecting it into a big pool so that it should be able to make forecasting uh, more predictive and more accurate. But we also use Environment Canada data to supplement this information uh, to provide our users with more accurate information as well. So, for example, subsurface temperature might be collected from an area that's 10 kilometers away from the site, saves money on deployment of more sensors, but uh, with our algorithms and so on, says that we still have very accurate data. So I just want to point out we have a surface temperature sensor there as well. So these, these stations have small networks of sensors. In Ontario, we're actually, this is kind of what we do. We're experimenting with a whole bunch of different sensors. Uh, what we want to do is find sort of the best measurement at the lowest cost to make this as affordable as possible for these small communities. Awesome stuff. Well, hey, thanks for allowing me to join you here at your offices and, and here in your lab and your production area. Love the museum. Really appreciate your time, Mike. What do you think the chances are that uh, we're going to experience lightning today? Well, I would say that it's low today. It's, it's always possible, but I would say that it's quite low. What is the temperature outside? Today it was minus 13 when I got to work, I think, but it's going to get up to minus 4. No lightning today. I'll go with that. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us for free on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. It helps others find us. And hey, be sure to tell your friends and colleagues who can benefit from our podcast. The No Harm Health and Safety Podcast is a production of Stimulant Strategies and Stimulant Media Productions. You can learn more about us at stimulant.ca. All the best, everyone, and stay safe.